Hello, some derps talk about games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about Abras, the Shadow Crucible. But before we do that, Buddy, I want to show the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast. On this podcast, we talk about video games. This is a this is a this is a real return to form. I feel like <laughs> you know, a real classic. We've done the raid. We got AOTC in. Uh, you know, honestly, a somewhat unsurprising or a somewhat surprising and heroic manner. Uh, so now is today's the day that we actually go through and talk a little bit about what that you know what the last raid was like, what we liked about it, what we didn't like, all that good stuff. Um, so yeah, yeah. I mean, I do want to say off the top, like I do think we could have gotten there, but I think we we got through that pretty clearly because, like, you know, like you showed up, and then particularly Merak and uh, uh, who was Karma, like, Karma, yeah, right? yeah. It's like, hmm, how did how did this go so well? There's two two people who aren't normally here on the top of the you know the damage charts, right? Like d doing it so. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like it was uh, just so, so folks at home know we have been doing Sarkareth, the final boss, on Heroic for maybe like a week or two. I don't actually really remember because I have not been super consistent with Raid recently. Um, and uh, and on the third week, we killed Sarkareth on the first pull. <laughs> and... Um, that poll included some helps from some friends of the raid who don't normally show up. Um, and, uh, yeah, and we just, we, it was done, one and done, right? <laughs> like, you know, we just kind of had it, which is, I don't know, fun, interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but let's, uh, let's, 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 let's go over these bosses from start to finish. All right. What is, I should have brought this up ahead of time. So the first boss is uh, the dragon, like Kazareth or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's the dragon. It's the Shadow Flame Dragon. Uh, and I will get the full name in a second. And bosses. And the name is Kazara the Hellforged. Kazara uh, the Hellforged. All right. So uh, how did you feel about Kazara? Hellforged? You know, it's funny because we always talk about these first bosses. And I'm just like... They are, uh, they're, they're there to be loot pinatas. A first boss is designed to die, essentially, as soon as the, you know, as soon as the raid starts. Which I actually kind of think is okay, you know, like, I think that's fine. Um, but it's just, it is interesting to sort of think about what makes for good design on, on bosses like this. Um, and in that, in that matter, Kazura is pretty, it's pretty fine. Kazura is a dragon, um, and has pretty typical dragon mechanics in the sense of, you know, you want to keep to the sides, there's a big flame breath, all this other sort of stuff. Uh, but her core thing um, is that she is an undead dragon who where, who is the dragon that Deathwing practiced his Elementium armor trick on by killing and resurrecting her over and over again, basically. And that process drove her uh, drove her insane. And as the fight goes on, more of the armor gets shed off in these sort of pieces and reveals more of the, you know, the rotten undead dragon underneath. Um, and, uh, and I don't know. It's a, it's a pretty good fight. It's a pretty fun fight. Um, I feel like I have nothing important or interesting to sort of say about the mechanics, other than that they were very... They're, they're, they're trap mechanics, which I think are interesting. They they entrap you and your mind to overthink them in a way that I think is, like, kind of funny and frustrating. Um, 
you know, having to do this thing where she will mark certain players to spawn a portal and then other players to draw a line and you have to draw the line into the portal in order to in order to close it um and that process is not always sort of like easy or simple um yeah yeah i i, I will say you said it's like a you know meant to be a loop pinata it is the first one in a while that has like that had a little bit of like a bite to it right mm-hmm. like um basically basically the the issue the there's an issue of like you know getting put putting the pulls in the right places and then the other the other issue is um not accidentally doubling up on a pool and sending someone to like you know run across a thing to you know because it's not quite dragging a line it's uh you get marked and like a moving thing follows you and it needs to hit a pool to go away um and so like this has happened to me a number of times where like you know uh two people stand behind the same pool only one person gets it cleared and the other person has to go like run around to try and like drop their beam off at, uh, at at some point and it's kind of aggravating but um yeah not much else to say but other than it's like kind of like the hardest one uh of these opening bosses in a while but that's not saying much right like you know yeah i wouldn't say it's super fun like ter- the terror uh, um terror grew was fun uh, yeah. yeah i was gonna say yeah terror grew right i'm not terrasque um the terror grew was fun because you got those like extra powers so it was like this like you know uh I don't know, almost like roguelike kind of mode. Um, but, um, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I guess just default... I, I, I sort of want to rank the bosses, uh, but because we only have the one, we'll just say, you know, Kazra is <laughs> in there. It's the yeah. start. <laughs> and then we'll start going above and below. Um, the next boss... Because uh, we always went left. The next boss was to go to the amalgamation chamber, um, where there is the fire boss and the shadow boss, and then they combine and become the shadow flame boss. Um, this boss I actually quite liked, but I quite liked it because we cheesed it basically um, in my first raid, okay. uh, in my in my raid with sub with like one group of my friends basically. Um, the idea for the amalgamation chamber was we basically just forced them on top of each other, like we forced them on top of each other pretty quickly, and then we just lusted and blew just like beat them to death, right? Uh, we let we let both halves kind of combine, and then we just absolutely tore them to shreds. Um, whereas uh, the the better way to do to you know the better way to do this fight is to uh, bring both health pools down evenly. So when they combine, they combine at a normal. Uh, at sort of like a normal uh, value, but I thought that that interest, the, that difference in tactics was interesting. You can basically skip the first one, the first phase, by lusting and, and taking one to fifty immediately, um, or you know you can play both phases carefully in order to do the boss kind of as designed. Yes, yeah, that's 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 fair. That's interesting. So what 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 worked in that? You just like kept one boss off the side. Murdered the yeah first you murder. yeah you keep one boss off to the side and then you just have the other boss because when one of the two hits fifty percent it transforms right and then the transform is you just it starts that ramping thing but it basically just skips the whole first phase um, you don't have to have to do anything and then you're just in the f- the phase of ramping AOE damage and um, 
going front to back, front to back, right? And just r reducing the mechanics bloat to just make it very simple. You don't have to split the raid. You don't have to do any of that stuff uh, because you can just burn extra DPS is kind of interesting and fun to me. No, that makes that makes sense. I, I've never played it that way. Um, obviously, because I only raid with our raid, did it the traditional way. But um, yeah, I don't know. I thought it was fine, right? Like, I don't feel like felt like a felt like a boss I'd seen before kind of deal, right? Like it, it wasn't particularly interesting to me. I didn't think it was bad, just like passable, right? Like, um. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I've got a lot to say about it, right? Because it's just kind of like, you know, do a bunch of dodging mechanics and, like, you know, one kind of, like, bring pools out mechanic, and that's basically it, right? Like, am I, am I missing anything there? I want to so Nope. Like, it starts by saying mortal piss. That's the most interesting yeah. thing about this boss, yeah. to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what, is there you, any big is is there any loot off these first two bosses that you thought was cool or interesting? Oh, was I, any of this chase loot for you? I have forgotten about loot for a long time. I just like haven't thought about it. Um, I'm oh, so something I, I realized um, recently is I am the lowest geared person in in our raid group, um, despite like normally taking like a third on the DPS charts. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, wow. I'm at like three twenty seven, I think, um, or three twenty nine. Um, Something in there. That is incredible to me. Yeah, I, it's, it's because basically since I've been playing Baldur's Gate, all I do is raid. And like I just haven't gotten drops um, sure. uh, in a little while. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, like it's basically I got my set pretty early and past that just kind of been like whatever, right? Like I, it's, it's, you know, it's just numbers at that point. Did so. you did you like your set? Is your set good this round? Uh, I thought it was fun or it's. It didn't change the way I played the character and doesn't have like a particularly flashy visual effect. So it's, I, I kind of don't notice, like I noticed my number go up. Right. But like, you know, um, it basically what it does is, is, um, I think it's fists of fury and rising sun kick play off each other. Um, like one of them buffs the other, I forget which way it goes. And then there's a talent that go, makes it go the other way. But like, you know, my number went up, it felt good. Right. Like, um, yeah, one thing that I think is interesting about set design, I, this is my philosophy on set design, is um, you should use tier sets to change up the default gameplay, you know, patch to patch, so that people are taking slightly different builds, a little bit different rotations, right? You know, maybe they'll get four set and then they'll prioritize this one thing in this one way or that thing in that way kind of thing. Um, this did not happen for me. My build was basically the exact same uh, in Raid. Uh, it did change in Mythic Plus, though. In Mythic Plus, it became very much about sweeping strikes, and I was doing a lot of, like, two-target cleave stuff. Um, but in Raid, I was basically just doing normal, same-ass shit. You know, like, no no differences. Yeah, same. I mean, like, Fist of Fury and Rising Sun Kick are high-priority abilities anyway, so it's not like I'm already casting them on cooldown. It's not like delaying one for the other mattered because it's... The the amount of times, like, you know, like, one extra, even two, if we're being generous, one extra, like, you know, of that buff on a particular thing would, like, make the difference to me just wasn't there. Um, yep. Nope. I, I feel you completely. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I also, I know, I, I'm still using um, a Hell Torch because um, I haven't gotten a good trinket drop. Um, oh, interesting. 
Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense because I do think trinkets matter, right? Yeah. But I think the, the most important pieces of gear are going to be, like, set bonuses and trinkets because those are the things that, like, are more than just stat sticks, right? Um, there are a couple of pieces of chase gear that it's like, oh, my God, I got, you know, X. Uh, but a lot of the time those have cantrips on them. Um you know, just like extra effects. Uh, so the the sword that Neltharian drops um, is a good example of that. But yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I I don't I don't think I've seen one that particularly benefits Monk in a long time. Um, just because I don't know. I feel I feel like Monk. It would have been nine point one, right? It would have been those those fists, the bleed fists, right? Um, nine point one is which. Um, the, what's, what's Sanctum of Domination? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, honestly, the most exciting piece of gear out of Sanctum, I think, was the spear that turned you into a Valkyrie. That was the one that, like, felt the most different. Oh, uh, sure. Um, but, like, the Bleed Fists, yeah, they did, like, they, they, they weren't that crazy, right? Like, like, nothing, I don't know, maybe, maybe I was just discounting it, because, like, I don't know, I feel like if I can't see it, it's just kind of like, well, the number went up, right? And, like, if... The number doesn't go up particularly that like you know, in a way that like you know, everything feels incremental, right? Like um, I don't feel like I get a big pop out of anything, um, but you know that's uh, that's the way it goes sometimes, right? Like you know, I I feel like they're like that's why that's why I like borrowed power, like like the um, the different uh, uh, pieces was like. You know, oh, this, I had a, a whole other mechanic, like, you know, like, Feline Stomp was a thing that came into my rotation for the entire uh, expansion. Um, yep. Uh, and I still use it because I like it, but, like, um, I ha just haven't had anything, uh, had anything, like, change it up in a while. Um, just because, you know, I was able to keep doing Feline Stomp. Basically, the biggest thing for me is, like, with the new talent changes is I'm actively switching between my single target and my multi-target build. Whereas, like, previously, I would just kind of be like, eh, it is what it is. I will, like, you know. Like, I had started getting to the point where I was carrying talent books because I wanted to, like, perform better. But, like, with the with the talent changes, it's kind of like, okay, I, I, I will switch every time now. This made it a little bit easier. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to ranking ab amalgamation chambers, it... But higher or lower than Kazara? Lower, but like not by much, right? Like they're both kind of like eh, and Kazara at least felt a little bit more interesting to me. Okay, uh, yeah, my default is to say that Amalgamation Chamber is higher. Maybe it's a flavor thing because I like the Shadow Flame. You know, this whole thing is about this, you know, kind of corrupting power of Shadow Flame. You actually get to see it in action or whatever. I don't know. Uh,. Then after that, I think, is the first kind of real interesting boss fight, which was the Forgotten Experiments, right? Three-phase sort of council fight. You go from one to the next to the next. Um, but the thing that made this fight so interesting were the breakpoints and the management of that debuff in, you know, in the second phase, you're fighting a guy. He puts on a, a debuff that every time you cleanse it, it jumps to another player, so you have to deal with it for the rest of the raid. And you can deal with two of them or three of them depending on how efficiently you blow that guy up. Um, and I think, and that was really like fun and engaging, right? Um, partially because it gave me a reason to get really like incredibly deep in my own rotation. Um, the, the feeling of perfecting my 
opening on that fight so that I could get just the right burst phase on that guy is really satisfying. Did you have that? Did you have that same sort of thing, or did you not? No, I had the anti version of that because, like, I couldn't afford to not cast um, Zuin uh, because, like, I would just like miss a cycle of it if I didn't cast it immediately, right? Um, and that, like, the DPS loss there was 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 too big, right, for it to be worth it. Um, but like, the better we did as a raid, the further off perfect I was, right? Like. Oh, when, I see. When we first started doing it, we weren't super tuned. And so I would like, like, you know, it'd be like two seconds in to the second boss that I would like get that back up and I'd get my full burst and be, it'd feel great. But like by the end, it was like, you know, it was like, like, you know, there was like a three second overlap with Lust um, where I had Zoo and it was like, it just, just felt bad. Right. Cause like, you know, obviously it's the correct decision for the, for the raid, but like my personal performance suffered as a result and it. Yeah, that it was that actually is super true because one of the things that's complicated for me is I have, um, I it, you can use one minute cooldowns and I have ninety second cooldowns, but I have ninety second cooldowns that can get reduced right, um, so I can bring them down closer to sort of a minute. And there's that thing of do I hold like we are thirty seconds away? Do I add my damage to this? Or do I hold my cooldowns, right? And a lot of the time for me, I was in this frustrating position where I was like, boy, I bet if I do my my cycle here, we push it over. And I, in the correct example, and the correct decision is for me to hold, just because if I don't hold, I'm going to push the damage such that it was incorrect. But if I do hold, then it is correct in a way, yeah, because yeah. like there's actually true. enough time and I'm sitting on the buttons for forever. And that feeling is kind of like bad, but I love the proactiveness of using cooldowns in that kind of, in that kind of way. And that to me just sells this whole boss fight when it comes to sort of like design. It's the, it's the boss fight where I'm interacting with my, um, I don't know, where I'm interacting with my build, with my rotation in m probably the most minute ways, right? It is about maximizing my performance under these certain, certain scenarios, which is probably what, you know, one of the big goals when it comes to a, um, when it comes to a boss fight uh, along these lines. Um, so I guess it's kind of high praise, uh, sort of. Uh. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I... Would be more on board with that if it was like, if like because it, it feels like anything that's like in that category that 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 monk is in where it's like you can't afford to lose like, it is so close to that timer that it like you like I couldn't hold it like holding it for the whole time would be nonsense right like you know sure um, uh, but like I, I I get what you're saying the the other thing the the other big mechanic is is the orbs right um like both the dispel orbs and kind of like the shield orbs. And I don't know how I feel about the the the, the shield orbs because like I feel like the amount of like battlefield control that the boss has makes that mechanic more frustrating because you kind of have to be like out of a thing while he's doing it. But then like this orb is still homing in on him, and it's hard to manage that while like the the you know the the field like there's a third of the field that's like actively. Uh, uh, out of them, like, it still loses the shot. Shield orbs are cheating. He can fly right into where you're bouncing them, right? Like that—that that, that is the thing that I, find, that I find frustrating about them. I don't think they're a bad mechanic in isolation, but I think they were not great, well used on uh, on this uh, on this fight. Like the dispel orbs, I think were like fine. They could be a little bit hairy. The only thing that bothered me, the only thing that, that caught, ever caught me up about them, 
about them is that like um i have a self dispel right um diffuse magic right yeah um and when i was taking damage i would sometimes instinctually pop it for like a damage reduction but that would also pop the orb off of me it was kind of like oh i fucked everything up because i like dropped it in the middle of the raid um oh yeah i mean to be honest i think we also approach those orbs wrong like intentionally wrong uh so basically those orbs we held those orbs way longer than we should have, right? You're supposed to get them up to like 10 or 12 or 15 stacks and then swap over. But we were holding to like 25 or 30, which on on one hand, I actually quite liked that. I thought that was fun. It's a great way for me to exercise mastery of the game, right? Um, by cycling my defensives, by keeping myself up, by using potions and stuff like that, my health stones proactively. I think all of that stuff is like really interesting and fun. Um, but it's like one of those things where if the mechanic targets not me, were you know like or like not a player of my caliber, like it can fuck us, right? Because uh, it targets the wrong person. That person doesn't know how to do any of this stuff. They die. It you know, it swaps over or whatever. It was just like, ugh. Uh, but I but I appreciated the 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 expression of mastery, right? Louis the Chat says, I've never gotten rid of my own debuff before 25. It's like, yeah, like I know I could keep it up. You can trust me with it. That's a that's a good feeling. That makes sense, yeah. Um yeah. So like yeah, like I said, that 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 mechanic I wasn't too too chuffed about, but um or too too aggravated about. I, I forget if chuffed is good or bad. I'm not I'm not a British um, but, uh, but the, uh, the shield orbs, I think, were, like, could be, like, very, very frustrating. Louis says chuffed is good, so I was, I was, I'm not, so, you know, I guess I was chuffed about those orbs. I don't know. I don't care. Um, uh, but yeah, um, I think, uh, just to kind of, like, get back to our, our kind of stack ranking here, I might actually put this one at the bottom, just because that shield, I found that shield orb so frustrating right like um and that, i don't know also we we i feel like the time between raid start and aotc is a little bit longer than we typically are so like a lot of these are starting to feel like normalized in my mind in a way that like i think it's detracting from my ability to uh evaluate remember it. what it was like to prog those bosses yeah yeah exactly okay. yeah yeah, I definitely liked Forgotten Experience, and so I would put it on top. So you and I have exact opposite rankings at this moment, right? Yeah. Mine would be Forgotten Experiments, Amalgam, Kazara. You would be Kazara, Amalgam, Forgotten Experience, Experiments. Yes. Okay, interesting. Interesting. Okay, uh, the next one would be when we swap over to the other wing, right? We do Assault of the Zakali, uh, led by Warlord Cagney, and, you know, you split the raid, two different platforms, a bunch of ads spawn, um, you, you beat their asses. I feel like you're going to tell me that you love this I because did. it was a huge multi-target yes, fight. And you exactly. got to just like, okay, yes. interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I got I got to use, I didn't even use my full um, multi-target build because, you know, the second half of the fight is single target, but, like, it's, like, the only true multi-target fight in the raid, and so I loved yep. it because it got to use flying guillotine, um, is, is what it comes down to, right? Like, um, uh, and so, and so I had a ton of fun with it. I never threw a rock cause I was like, why would I throw a rock when I can punch? Um, but like, <laughs> um, I thought that was, it was also one of those like weird perverse things where like, you know, if the raid was doing particularly well, I would get less groupings of ads. And so I would personally do worse, but like that, that's, that is always a problem with multi-target fights is like, as you get better at it, the waves don't wave as much. And so I don't get as much mm. like crispy kind of like group group booms but uh 
Yeah, uh, nope, I feel you entirely. It's one of those things where the correct way... I, I swapped to a Bladestorm build for that fight uh, some of the time. Not all the time. Um, the correct way to do that fight is to, um, you know, like, clear the adds as much as possible. But, like, the more fun way to do that fight is to let the adds clump really hard and then blow tons of burst AoE on them. And I definitely did hold Bladestorm and, like, my whole combo sometimes, my whole big AoE combo sometimes, just to fuck around, sort of. And it's just like, oh, you know, like, I, I could Bladestorm here. It's correct. There's three targets. One of them is really high priority. We should get it down. But then, no, I would just, like, wait, and I would wait, and I would let them group up, and then just, like, okay, Bladestorming nine things feels so much better, even though, really, I should have Bladestormed three, and then Bladestormed the... And then, you know, killed the fo the following six kind of thing. Um, the other thing that I did on this fight that was also very scuffed is I would swap sides. There were some times where I would go into the fight raw single target, and I would just follow the boss, but I just wouldn't tell anybody. I would, I would sit on the boss... And I would single target the boss to push him into his face as fast as possible. And he would swap sides and I would run to, I would heroic leap and I would run to the other side and I would just go like single target the boss, you know, more, which uh, probably caused wipes if I'm being completely honest with myself. Like if there were times where we got overwhelmed with ads, it's likely that I was secretly targeting the boss in this way. It like, because I was just sort of tunneling on the, you know, like the thing instead of like dealing with the guys who actually mattered. <laughs> like... Yeah, no, I, hey, you know, that that, that sounds, uh, uh, you know, uh, sounds like you. Uh, <laughs> I also really liked the 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 lore of this boss, right? You know, there is the um, the Zakali Elder who has been used as the furnace to, you know, um, provide the power for this crucible all this time they're trying to break in to get there and so we're fighting them there's just something about like it's a very cinematic boss fight um compared to one where it's just like there's a guy he's in a room you beat his ass it's like oh this actually kind of makes sense right and it has in like it, a and has like ties to like the, the story quest right like if you do the yeah. um the quest line with the uh, the blind seer on the side of the volcano he'll tell you about like you know like and rumors have it that the Zakali is still beneath the mountain, you know, the elder is still beneath the mountain. Um, uh, and that feels good. Where it's like, you know, like, you know, nothing against amalgamation, but like, uh, or amalgamation, right? Rather, um, amalgamation is just kind of like, this boss is here. We will provide justification in the moment. And, uh, you know, and that is basically, and you will never care about the story beat there again. Right, yeah, like. there are certain things about this raid on a story level that I like and dislike. Um, one of them, this is this is me sort of like ruining myself to all fantasy literature, but one of them is like the perfectly preserved thing after like ten thousand years. Honestly, it's longer than ten thousand. It's like twelve thousand years. This has been below ground or whatever, and it's just like really this whole place is still just that like 12,000 years to people can, can consider how long that is. The ice age was before Neanderthals roamed the world 12,000 years ago. Actually, I don't know that that's true, but I know the ice age was 10,000 years ago, but I don't know about Neanderthals, right? It's just like, that's a long ass time. You guys like, uh, the, but I think that there's something to be said, like there, it's a fantasy trope that there's this vault underground and it's, it's been untouched for millennia. Um, that kind of thing. Yeah. I, I will say that at least here, like, there are, like, automatons taking care of it, right? It's not mm. totally, totally nuts. Um, but, yeah. No, I, I, 
I feel that. I you know I don't mind the fact. That Honestly, this is related to one gripe that I will discuss later in the podcast. Uh. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, Lou. And the, I just want to call it Lou and Trust. Uh, I like to fight in large groups where I get to actually throw rocks for people at home that don't know. The mechanic is you can. There are like interactables on the ground that you can throw over the edge, knock off people that are climbing up the cliffs. Um, and they yell, I fall, which is probably the second best voice call in the, uh, in, in the race. Yeah, the first best is mortal piss. <laughs> okay. <laughs> second best is like, we fall, is it we fall or I fall? It's we fall. fall. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, and it's a way to deal with that. So, you know, that's, that's a neat thing to do, right? Like neat, neat thing, neat, unique mechanic. Um, so this, this one's going to the top for me on, on our power rankings chart. Uh, perhaps surprisingly. <sighs> Okay, I think this one is second for me. It's below. I like Forgotten Experiments better, but yeah. I probably like uh, it second as much. Yeah, I, I will. I will also cop to the fact that like this is probably largely because uh, I like multi-target fights. Like my class is good at multi-target fights, and so I'm going to bias heavily in favor of it. But uh, you know, um, but yeah, that's 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 the way it goes sometimes. All right, next okay. up is uh, Rashak. The actual elder in question that, like, uh, jumps around and throws stuff at people. Uh, and Yeah, this is, like, in my opinion, the first hard fight of the raid. Like, the real, like, the realist fight. Uh, but I also love these fights. These are, these are sort of shmup fights, right? Where it's just, like, bullet hells. Um, and I love bullet hells, but I think other people hate them. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say, like, I don't know if I... I think Forgotten Experiments or a Shock is harder. Um, and some of it with Forgotten Experiments is the kind of, like, weirdness with, like, the randomness with the shield and also kind of, like, like you were saying, like, you know, the 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 balls on a person who can't handle it, the, uh, the spell balls on a person that can't handle it, I think is, can be more frustrating because it won't immediately kill you, but, like, you'll start to snowball there, whereas, like, someone can single-handedly tank the entire fight uh, if they place the uh the, so it, the guy throws pools on you but if the pools stack basically you're done right like the the fucking fight's over right like it'll it'll burst enough and like you'll you'll um but like at least that's quick at least that's immediate right and it's also a thing that because it's so immediate and like you teach people like it, it, you do that once maybe twice before you realize you're being a dickhead if you don't figure out how to fucking deal with it right like um so um, normally I, I kind of have issues with kind of like, you know, uh, or rather I not have issues, but I, I loathe the kind of mechanics that are like, if it happens to go on the weakest person in your raid, you're fucked because they don't know how to deal with it. Right. Like we're the newest person, right? Like not, I don't want to like, you know, uh, come down on, you know, more casual players too hard, but like, um, it is hard to carry someone through a raid when they have like a responsible that has to deal with them. But this one seems to be, it's like easy enough and clear enough and like that like you that it, it tends not to be a recurring problem yes it might be frustrating when you know the first time dude heroic leaps into another pool and like or like <laughs> misses you know it's like overlaps by like half an inch and like fucks the raid right but uh um uh normally you know it, it, it's a thing that resolves itself the thing the thing that um the other one that's interesting to me, and we never had a problem with this, but I think it's an interesting design, is that there's a soak. And if not everybody's in the soak, then, like, the timing of the fight gets all thrown out of whack. 
which feels like it'd be like weird to recover from. But like I said, we, we've never really had that particular problem. Yeah, um, part of it is that we're a very melee raid, right? Yeah. So we're we, we tend to be super, um, uh, super, super tight together. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I I think I like Rashak specifically just for the 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 bullet hell the tiny little blue blue you know waves of stuff coming out. Um, that's like a mechanic that has been in other boss fights that I've just like I love people people hate. I'm thinking like Twin Ogron in um, in Warlords of Draenor like ten years ago was a was a fight like that. People loathed that fight, but I love that fight. And I think that what it comes down to is. Um, uh, I get really good at sort of this, I find there's this like zen zone where I'm not even thinking about it, right? It's not like I'm looking at the path and deciding where to go, but it's just like, I'm one, I'm, I'm one with the wind, okay? And I'm just bobbing and weaving and I'm just never getting hit by any of these things. And that's like a really good personal sort of like, I don't know, it's just like a good personal feeling. And it probably only ever shows up once an expansion in a raid fight like this. And I savor it like a like a juicy steak, okay? When, when it does pop up. Because it's just, I don't know, it's very fun. Yeah, no, I feel that. Um, yeah, I, I would agree it is very, very fun. Um, I, I personally felt that more more about like the kind of like um, the the reset phase where like he stands in the middle and like throws out like tons of lines in different directions. I I, I is similar kind of bullet hell thing, but like in a different manner. Um, and that one that was the one that I I kind of enjoyed. It's kind of like we gotta like dodge between you know weave between the uh, uh, the lines there. Um, so yeah. I also appreciate that this is a raid fight that you can perfect. Um, it's a raid fight where you can take sort of zero environmental damage, which feels good. Um, there are, there's the soak, which is guaranteed damage, and there's sort of the pulse, which is guaranteed damage. But, you know, there's just a lot of stuff that you can just, if you are a good player and you avoid all the mechanics, you will take zero damage. Um, and and that's like a, that's like a good mastery kind of feeling. Yeah. Um, it's also a raid fight that I think, um, it reminds me a lot of, um, was this Stone Fist? The cha the chains guy, and you aim him at the pillars. pillars? Yeah, I think that's Stone Fist. Yeah, Sludge Fist maybe. Is yeah, what Sludge Fist. Sludge Fist stands for. Okay, um, it reminds me of that in the sense that he was also sort of like a pretty tight fight um, when it came to damage. But I feel like our dam we we weren't pressed by the damage wall as much as I expected to be honest. Yeah, yeah no, um, yeah we I don't think we ever like were in danger of like running out of space, right? Like at best we like. We do like three of the four corners of the room, and I don't think we ever like we're pushing into the fourth one. Um, yep. Um, but yeah, um, I would say I'd put Rashok probably in like second, like second place in my current set of rankings. So, Zakali, Rashok, Kasara, uh, amalgamation, forgotten experiments for me. Okay. Yeah, I think I want to say. I think I want to say Rashok is number one. So that's. Uh, Rashak, forgotten. Uh, what else did it, did we say? Zakali, amalgamation, Kazara, right? Yeah, yeah. That's okay. Uh, the other thing about Rashak that didn't affect either of us, but was interesting, is it had an absolutely broken nutty healing trinket in there. Which I didn't, I don't understand because I'm not a healer and I never do healing stuff and I never even care. But it was interesting, and I noted it for future 
interesting stuff, I guess. Um, just as like one of the pieces of like quest gear or not quest gear of raid gear that like people cared a lot about. Like the th the stuff coming off Rashok was something that people cared a lot about. Um, okay, uh, after Rashok we go upstairs and then there's uh, Zuskarn, this trap guy. He's like you know Dexter's lab, point Dexter kind of. Uh, uh, nerd who works for Neltharian throws out a bunch of bombs, says a bunch of bullshit. I fucking hated this boss. Uh, they changed it a couple of times. Uh, I guess they ended up in an okay spot, but it was just the most frustrating boss fight to fight because it just was a constant bullshit all the time, it feels like. Constant bullshit. It felt fairly illegible to me as well. Right, like, you know, I eventually figured out exactly what was going on, but, like, you know, the ability to kind of, like, pick up the fight as you went felt, like, less good than uh, any of the other fights. Um, I also, like, I don't know, I didn't find the mechanics particularly engaging. You know, it's like, dodge a bunch of flames, kill some robots, avoid traps, right? Like, I don't know. It felt like a bunch of bullshit. It's, it's, it's yeah. It's kind of the anti-Painsmith, in my opinion. In Painsmith, you... it's Or, like, the mirror inverse of Painsmith. Painsmith had a couple of mechanics that were brutally tough, right? Um, but you could deal with them. And it was all in service to sort of, like, like the boss design. He's this torturer. You know, he's putting people in Iron Maidens and all this other sort of stuff. That, that fight worked, and I loved it. And everybody really loved Painsmith, right? It was just incredibly super fun. Um, but this guy, I felt like, had a similar sort of idea. Uh, but, like, instead of having all of those mechanics kind of come together into just one cohesive unit, you know, like one cohesive package that was a lot of fun to go through. It was unfun and sucked and it was all random and that sucked so much and was so crazy. And then they made it unrandom and it was, I guess, kind of better. I don't know. Yeah, that's so, it. That's so, it. So I will say, I think that that's part of it, right? Like his paintsmith yeah. had like, like near perfect predictability, right? Like the direction that the rolling balls came out of was random, but like, correct. Yeah. Um, but, like, that's also, like, a slow-moving mechanic that you can figure out, right? Like, um, here, stuff felt random-ish. Like, the thing that always felt the worst to me is that, like, those flame traps on the ground would pop up occasionally in spaces where I'd be, like, sectioned off from the boss. Like, well, I guess I'm not doing damage for another, like, three or four seconds. I didn't feel like I could, like... And maybe this is just me. I also feel like I didn't do this boss a ton. Um, uh, that, like... It felt to me like I couldn't account for that is kind of like mm -hmm. i might like you know on approximately a third to two thirds of the runs we're doing tonight i'm going to be off the ball i'm going to lose dps for significant portions of the fight because i got screwed by rng um or at least my inability to kind of like properly absorb the mechanics and so uh i did not have a, a great time with uh with this fight um also kind of like it's one of those fights where it's like i felt like like there are several fights in this in this uh in this this raid that um, I won't call it a problem because like it feels nice to like be able to bring the utility but like this fight is like there are ads should I be bringing my ad killing you know like my, my I have a partial AoE spec um, that I couldn't really use to AoE in this fight but like bringing the faster cooldown on touch of death is something you know is occasionally useful for like knocking down a thing that needs to be knocked yeah. down fast it's like 
Uh, and it, it felt like it didn't feel particularly great to go the single target build, but it also didn't feel great to go the multi target build because I wasn't actually doing multi target, I was just bringing fast cooldowns on, on Touch of Death. Um, uh, and so uh, it's like the unhappy medium for me, particularly. So for me, at least, this fight goes to the very bottom of the list. Um, okay. Yep. I think I agree. It's probably the very bottom of my list. Uh, good try. I don't like it. We basically didn't do it ever again. We did it like I feel like we did it the first couple of times that we just started using skips and fucking around, and it was just like, okay, yep, I'm done. <laughs> like, I don't yeah. want to. I don't want to do this shit anymore. Um, I felt the next fight is. Oh, I'm sorry. Go for it. I would say like we we ended up skipping the next fight, Magmarax, a bunch as well. But I felt a little sad about that because I actually enjoyed the Magmarax fight. Really? Yeah. So Magmarax is the exact opposite fight, which was a fight that was sort of trivialized if you did it right. And it was, uh, and at that point just kind of made it just like a target dummy. And I guess that's fine, but I, 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 I feel like that's like a lack of a good fight. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I agree with you, but it was definitely cathartic after Ziskar. Um, Fair which enough. Is, which is yeah, maybe sure. what it, what, what's coming to me for this one, right? Like, yeah, like he, on heroic, does he even get a new mechanic? I didn't. I if he did, I didn't see it. It was. I understood the direction. I understood that the fight was supposed to be that you are, you you're keeping him from he he can absorb all this lava from like extra sources. You want to keep that from happening as much as as much as humanly possible. Okay, but it just was so trivially easy to not inject him with further lava and i basically never had to deal with any like i just stood still i just stood still the whole time right the one piece of like clever decision making is i was once in a group where there were two people who got marked and i went to the mar the group that didn't get a mark naturally occurring in it and my raid leader at the time said good job and i was like yep i did i did mechanic that's like the only mechanic i ever fucking did on that fight yeah yeah no i mean you know, it, there were, it is, the things that felt satisfying to me is like, you know, you know, people are derping and aren't paying attention and I was able to go over and keep, you know, and help shrink the pool because nobody else did it. And I did it that one time and I was like, oh boy, I'm a smarty pants. Um, but like, yeah, the other one is just kind of like beat up the sponge and that's, sometimes it's, it's a nice palate cleanser and I will give it that. Um, but like cool. it sure. is a very it is a very nothing boss I would say, um, I can't hate it so I, I'm gonna place it I think probably right below Kazara. Yeah, I'm also placing it below Kazara though that makes it second from the last for me. I think that's just because uh, this boss this boss is kind of like it's it's it's. Uh, it's like an SAT score where somebody wrote their name. Ziscard is an SAT score where someone intentionally got every question wrong, right? And they like lost uh, like like points or whatever. Um, Magmarex didn't do that, but it also didn't gain points anywhere. If that makes sense. Yeah, I can sense. hate it. It's boring as fuck. You stand in one spot for most of the fight and re and only move when it knocks you back. Return to a spot and repeat. Yeah, exactly. I didn't even move when it knocks me back. When it knocks me back, I just charge and the charge cancels the knockback and I'm just instantly staying melee. It's like the negative mechanics on this boss fight, basically. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, so to that point, sometimes it's fun to just like wail, right? Like you know, to like get yeah. that or you're just like do rotation practice, right? Like, um, yeah. But yeah, 
Okay, not untrue. Then we have Echo of Neltharion. Um, probably, I would say, the most impactful. But this is probably the boss we did the most, I feel like. Yeah. Um, in the sense of just spending a lot of time on it, progging on it, all this stuff. Um, it also just like has a ton of different mechanics, you know, three different phases. You have to break these walls. The walls happen in a couple of different ways. All this other sort of stuff sort of happens. Um, it's the most kind of like, it's the boss that matters most for like story stuff because the story of the raid is, um, you know, you are exploring this laboratory with the two sort of children of Neltharion, Sibelian on one side, um, Rathion on the other. This echo of Neltharion is trying to court them to, you know, sort of embrace the dark side. They both sort of say no and disappoint the echo, but it turns out the echo of Neltharion is a, a faceless one and he's just fucking with them anyway or whatever. There's all this other sort of stuff. Um, what do you think? What's your thoughts? Uh, I, I enjoyed the fight. I thought it was um, a lot of opportunity for, like, fun shenanigans, right? Like, I feel like... The wall breaking was a neat idea, but also, like, one of those ones that quickly just kind of was like, oh, well, the tanks are going to handle it. So, you know, it's it's actually a non-mechanic, which is fine. Um, but, like, I don't know, less fun maybe. But I thought, I thought it was, I thought it was neat, right? Like, lots, you know, what, you know, um, I brought, I brought my semi multi-target build for this, for knocking down the, uh, the race, um. You know, just, like, straight up dodging and, like, remembering things, right? Like, you know, remembering how to uh, to, to not stand in certain places, dodging mechanics, remember to stay on the right side of the wall, right? Like, um, Yeah, I feel like this was a fight where I didn't care about damage at all. I was pretty off. I All I cared about was, like, doing... It's one of those things where if you just kill in the right order, if you respect the mechanics and you do all that stuff you you're kind of fine right um and uh but it's a but it's a boss where it's very easy to lose people along the way oh yeah and so you'll get to that third phase and all of a sudden you're three people down and it's like woof we're that's 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 tough kind of thing um and i think that there's that's actually kind of good in a way um because it creates these heart pumping moments where you know you're really pushing against the mounting odds which i think is a lot of what boss fights should feel like sometimes right um most boss fights boss fights should feel like when you get the win you're pulling it out by the skin of your teeth and it is hard to design for that but having mechanics like this kind of make that make that happen uh, unfortunately i also feel like there are a lot of like auto weight mechanics that are like not super great and kind of unfun um things like Tanks missing a wall appropriately um, always sucked. Which especially um, when it seemed it seemed like sometimes it was like not one hundred percent reliable. Like it's not like it wasn't the tank's fault, or like they do the thing they were supposed to, and the wall just wouldn't break. Um, yeah, I mean the other thing, the thing that I think is supposed to happen, and I want to uh, you know cheer on this design, even if I don't think it worked. The thing that I think is supposed to happen is the tanks are break the wall but then you can pull an audible right where it's which is oh he's doing his thing that you're normally slamming you know into another location um but if you want to now you can put someone's back to the wall and you have an you have another opportunity to break the wall the unfortunate thing is that it's hard to pull that kind of play off 
um, most of the time, like if a tank fails to break the wall, you lose a certain number of seconds. And even that is just not enough time to react so that the per by the person, the, the next person can get the beam that they normally aim away from the wall to then have to actively be like, oh, I'm taking care of this. It's just like, it was like impossible to pull that off. But it's the kind of thing that I see the potential for. And I understood with the designer on paper. It's probably like, yes, they need to break the wall in order to move. If the tank misses it, then there's also this this other mechanic that will break walls and someone can then move in and substitute for the tank and it's like okay i i appreciate that design on paper even if it never worked out right yeah no it's one of those things where it's like someone has to make it like because the time window is so short is like you basically have to autonomously make a decision but no one kind of wants to do that because like they're not like you know it's like well if we both go then it's also not great right like because it's usually two people that have the secondary effect i think but like it's like you know it's like I, I was there. It's like, like you know, you know fail to break the wall. I would say, should I go break the wall? And by the time I got a response, the the effect was already like you know had had gone yeah. off, right? Like, um, yeah, yeah. And it's and then it's catastrophic if you and the other person both yeah. make that decision on the fly. It's like that, you know, yeah. that kind of so, thing. So, is, so the thing yeah. I want to compare this to is the seed pods for um, mm. Artificer in Castle Nathria, um, uh, which was like that was like the true kind of like you know hero you as an individual can make the call and just like make it happen because like it's like self-isolating right if two people go for it, one of them will get it the other one will not um yep and uh you know um even if you don't execute it totally you can you can execute it in such a way that you will die but you will save the rest of the raid right and i think that's like kind of like the the right way to have those mechanics go right like if it like even though, even though, like you know, you, like you drop DPS right, and your your parse is ruined, right? Like you 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 made the clear happen, right? And so you, you feel good about it. So I think that's yep. like kind of the better way to handle it. Um, I also think uh, I also love that, and I think that that's that's super true. Um, I also think another mechanic in here that I want to call out, which is neat, was the ad spawning mechanic. I don't know if I've ever seen this mechanic before, but it's kind of it's like maybe the one mechanic I would want to take forward from here and go, we should do this again. The thing where ads spawn based on the number of portals, each person has to step in a portal and for each person, but like the it is a it is a just like a like a pass fail gate right if there are 10 people in one portal it clips off if there's one person in one portal it clips off and so having this thing where um uh you you have a bunch of people stand in the individual portals and if your raid spreads out very well you reduce the, the number of ads i think that that is also like a like a, a mastery mechanic that is in this fight uh and this one in my opinion is much better and works and works better because it also kind of keys into the way that like the overwhelming nature of the ads is the soft enrage here, right? That fundamentally speaking you can you can kind of do this fight forever it's just a matter of can you keep breaking can you keep cracking the portals um and making sure that no more ads are no more ads are spawning um for that uh and also uh it's maybe it's maybe the most sort of interesting just in terms of a lot of stuff is going on i don't know we'll talk about i guess circuit after this um and uh, and so I guess for that it's pretty high on my list. I think I think I want to put this in third spot under for under Rashak under Forgotten Entities or whatever. Uh, but above Zakali is probably where I want to end up with Neltharian. I think I'll also put it in third, which is under Zakali under Rashak above 
Kazara, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. Okay. There's one other piece that I wanted to call out here, which is the incredibly cool sword. Um, the sword, I obviously have an intense amount of love for because, uh, well, so this, so the sword is a big two-handed strength sword or whatever, and the sword is um, uh, called Ashkander, which is a throwback to Ashkandi, which is a sword that dropped off of Neltharion in. Um, the original Blackwing Lair from Vanilla WoW. Ashkandi was just, like, the best sword. But the cool thing about Ashkandi is it's called Ashkandi um, Blade of the Brotherhood. And it has uh, a reference to Anduin Lothar, which is a character from Warcraft 2. Anduin Lothar dies on the, on the, on the, in the foothills of, uh, kind of on the steps of Black Rock Mountain, essentially. Um... And the idea is that this is uh, his sword that was taken and kind of abducted by Neltharion. Uh, when Blackwing Lair became Blackwing Descent, I think, in Cataclysm, it's kind of like a, a re-up of that zone with, um, or re-up of that raid with Neltharion, Ashkandi came back um, and there was a second version. And this is sort of the third version of that sword. This is Ashkander, Fall of the Brotherhood. Um, the The... The thing about Ashkander that I uh, that I love is it is a simple piece of gear with very flavorful with a very flavorful ability, right? Sometimes it does extra damage. That extra damage is doubled against humanoids, right? Um, okay, yeah, this is just a this is a sword that that kills people basically, right? Um, but I love throwback stuff like this. And I think that's that's neat and that should feel good. Are are the ghosts attacking you? I feel like I'm watching you look around. Oh, no, there's. I have had flies in my basement, um, and I think I've mostly gotten them. So I was just checking to, <laughs> to make sure I have my my fly swatter ready. <laughs> um, okay, very cool. Yeah. Okay, and that brings us obviously to Sarkareth, who is the final boss of the raid. Um, Sarkareth being, you know, the the leader of the evil evokers, the centered flame. Um, it's a three phase three phase boss fight, one where you fight him just sort of uh, in his normal. Then he gets void empowered. Then he gets giga void empowered. Right. Um, there's a bunch of different mechanics here. I don't know what did what did what did you think? I thought it was a neat fight. Um... I appreciated that it wasn't as long as some uh, other fights, but it also didn't feel like... Razageth felt like epic, right? Mm -hmm. Sarkarath does not feel nearly so epic. And I think some of that's just, like... This is sound weird, but, like, camera work, right? Like, um, like very occasionally, like, the camera would, would wind up, right? And I, like, when he, like, breaks, like, the window and the wind comes in, right? Like, that's a cool-looking moment, but, like, 95% of the time, I, like, you know, I just, like, I was busy focused on something else, so I didn't see it happen in, like, in a neat way. Um, whereas, like, in, say, Razgeth, there's, like, a bunch of dynamism, right? Like, you're moving around a bunch, you're moving places. Uh, Razgeth is physically large, and there's a bunch of stuff happening. It felt epic. Um, uh, what's what's Sylvanas? Um, I hated that fight. It was like thirty minutes long, right? Um, but like, there was a lot happening, and it and like the phases were so distinct, and you felt like you know a big journey, right? Like, um, uh, but uh, this fight just like doesn't feel quite so good, right? Like, um, 
uh, in terms of like impact. Uh, it's also a very in the in the in the like the nature of the story. It's a very quiet boss yeah. fight uh, in, in in introspective. Most other big boss fights tend to be climactic, but also of intense plot relevance, right? Um, so, for instance, you know, Sylvanas's boss fight. You know, this is the jailer triumphant, right? This is him breaking free of the maw, stealing, you know, back this power and becoming and his most his most powerful self, right? On top of like the stuff where he betrays his most loyal lieutenant in Sylvanas and all this other sort of stuff, right? Um, Razageth, you know, that boss fight is she's breaking free her kindred incarnates um in the in the vault and even though she died doing so and we killed her um she was able to break out a riddikron farak and uh viranoth who would then go on to be you know set the stage as the villains for the rest of Dragonflight, right um and even beyond uh most people seem to think that a riddikron is going to be like a, a, a recurring figure who goes deeper into the future than just this raid right um, or not this right, this expansion. Um, the interesting thing to me is this is just purely a fight about like this individual person, their individual corruption, um, and sort of them like and, and like the grappling with that nature of things, right? There's no there's no greater threat that has been freed. There's no, you know, this is not um, some indication of some huge power shift along the lines. He doesn't even die. Sarkareth is still technically alive, I think, at the end of the fight. It's kind of a question on whether or not that's He's true. I don't actually know. Like, mortally the, wounded, but he, right? Yeah, like, but, but he has, like, a quiet sort of, like, moment with um, with Sibelian and with Rathion because, like, Sarkareth said yes, where Sibelian and Rathion sort of said no when it came to, like, embracing the void and all this other sort of stuff. Um, but I think that that's, a, that's interesting. It's sort of new for WoW. There's not a lot of... I can't think of really any other major boss fight recently that doesn't include something along those lines, right? From... Let's say the, okay, just to start at the beginning of Legion, right? First raid is the Emerald Nightmare. The Emerald Nightmare doesn't really count. There's certain boss fights that are climactic showdowns, uh, but they don't affect the plot all that much. Nathria is also like this. Denathrius is a bad guy. We can't, we get rid of him, right? But it doesn't really do, it's not, it's not super important to, to like the plot or whatever. He's already done his thing. We're kind of just doing cleanup. Same thing with Xavius in like the Emerald Nightmare. But it's like every other fight in Legion, one just goes to the next, to the next, to the next, right? You have Gul'dan, you have, you have Illidan resurrected, um, in Kil'jaden, or in the, in the tomb of Sargeras, Sargeras you kill Kil'jaden, um, and then Illidan transports us to Argus, um, in order to get us home. Uh, you know, at the end of, uh, you know, at the end of Antorus, you know, you've literally killed a Titan. Sargeras is, is dealt with. He's been trapped by the Pantheon in this star and, you know, Illidan is there, all this other sort of stuff. And it's just like every other, every other boss fight I can possibly think of in the kind of modern era of WoW. Um, it's just very, it's just kind of like very like that, uh, which is, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, it's neat. It's new. I don't know. I don't know that that's good or bad. I just want to yeah, draw no, attention to it anyway. Um, yeah. No. I mean that 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 makes sense, right? Like he, he's kind of like an entirely patch contained uh, boss as well, right? Like he kind of shows up, like or like 
his he shows up beforehand, but it's like not really like a thing you're actively engaging with until until this this patch, right? And this whole thing happens, right? Like they're like around, but they're not like super part of like the past raid or whatever, um, right? Yeah. Um, uh, in terms of mechanics, um, the upstairs downstairs, like I'm, I don't know, I'm I'm rarely a fan of upstairs. Uh, downstairs mechanics like on like this kind of like individual level but it was fine um i did kind of like the standing in lines mechanic just because like it felt like you know oh we can aim it and oh you can actually like position yourself in a way that you, you don't have to drop dps if you're careful about it that kind of thing um but otherwise i don't know uh like it's not like none of the fights here felt like you know I don't know. Uh, so the, I can't remember the name of the boss. The boss that like had like the four vials that you had to fill up and down in, in Castle Nathria, and then like sure, the, yeah, Lady Darkvein, Lady Darkvein. Thank you. Like that one felt like we 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 had hard progression on that for a while. It felt really satisfying to get everything to like line up just so and get it to work right. Um, none of the bosses in this raid felt that way to me here, right? Like. Every boss felt like a boss that we could have gotten down with enough time. Um, uh, and, like, you know, obviously our Sarkareth kind of, like, march through progression was cut a little short by, by some help. But, like, I have, like, you know, I had no doubt that we were going to finish, um, that, we, that we would get Sarkareth down before um, the next patch dropped. Um, or, like... Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, like... Um, uh, it just like needed time to bake, right? And we just we didn't even have that many reps on Sarkareth in in Heroic. Um, yeah, my first Sarkareth kill was was uh, a big. I felt very good about that because I was a very hero moment uh, in that in that one. We were in phase three. There were very few. There were maybe half the raid was alive, and the soak mechanic happened. And I watched a bunch of people commit to the soak mechanic, and I just sort of did the math in my head, and I was like, all of those people are gonna die. But the boss was at like eight percent health, so I took two shots to to go downstairs the soak mechanic went off it killed everybody except for like a tank or whatever i went downstairs i did the pac-man thing i came up with essentially lust and execute and um i just killed the, it was like me maybe like a healer or two there was like one or two other dps and like one tank um and we just like tore the boss from that point and that's like a very fun hero play right story right, right yeah. um when it when it comes to when it comes to kind of like aotc um and i think that that's something that we didn't have a ton of this you know this time around um uh, and maybe I think part of that is because that boss fight does ramp in intensity, but it doesn't have... Razageth was a very good boss fight for this. And yeah. I think in hindsight, I think Razageth is, 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 a, is a great boss fight. Um, the thing about Razageth that's satisfying is uh, the, the fight feels it's most dangerous when it's actually it's most winnable. Um, but... That that's a sleight of hand that's really hard to pull off, right? Because what you don't want is you don't want a situation where things are too deadly and you're just wiping, you know, because of, you know, like whatever, like the this stuff is happening. What you want is you want the final phase to be deadly enough that it feels like an intense escalation of the threats that you have currently faced, but under the hood, it's actually easier, right? Uh, which is the thing that I described when we talked about Razageth. Technically speaking, 
we got over a hurdle with Razageth, and I looked at it, and I was like, oh, we're killing the boss, right? We had a bunch of people up. We had kind of done the mechanic, right? Uh, we'd only ever, but we'd only ever seen that phase three sort of like once. And so it was like a question. Um, and there's something satisfying about the way that that, that plays out. Uh, that, that didn't work with, with Sarkareth for me. Um, uh, and I think maybe that's a failure in boss design, even though Sarkareth does theoretically have that sort of like rampant thing. I kind of feel like Sarkareth is probably too chaotic to get that sort of feeling. Um, you know, there's just like a lot of individual stuff to be managed. Uh, Lou in the chat said, maybe I'm a pessimist because I thought we were screwed until we brought in the ringers. I also think that that's technically true. Um, the thing is, I think we were mastering the mechanics, but just the number threshold wasn't there. Sarkareth was transitioning into phase three, but he was transitioning with like 52% health, which is a lot of health to deal with in phase three. Um, uh, and the, but like part of that is also just like, we had weird boss sizes when we were, when we were progging on, or raid sizes when we were progging on Sarkareth and just, br yeah, we brought it, brought in two friends of the raid, um, who are very good gamers. They were, they were doing a lot of damage or whatever. Um, but I also just think getting to a set of a raid size that is more even when it came to DPS healers, all that other stuff made a lot of sense. Um. I don't know how you feel about any of that, but I, I think uh, I think I agree with yeah. that, right? Like our raid attendance has been wonky for the past couple of months, um, and so I think I think I think you know, just kind of like the normalizing uh, effect of it, especially because like yeah, you know, like twelve to thirteen people is awkward, like Lou says in the chat, and also like you know how you distribute healers there, how you sh like how you make everything work out, especially since we're always so melee heavy, right? Like, um, uh, yeah, like it. Weirdly, it felt like, and, and maybe Luke could speak to this a little bit more since she was healing. Um, like it felt like our phase ones were kind of like on the on a knife's edge. Like I felt like um, we were like barely hanging on heels wise, and I, I'm not blaming the healers for that. I just, I just I think that was like a numbers thing, right? Like that we were like maybe had too many people for like the lesser number of healers, but too few people for the greater number. Like at that yeah. break point. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I feel like Naltharian to me, or I'm sorry, Naltharian, Sarkareth for me is kind of smack dab in the middle of the raid. This is under Zakali, uh, but above Amalgamation, um, which makes my favorite fight, which I would not have pinned this, Rashak. Uh, I guess, yeah, I guess Rashak is my favorite fight. Uh, Lou in the chat says uh, it has a lot to do with healer types in phase one. You, need, you deeply need DR for those two big bursts. Uh, right, typically, oh my God. I have some very good news for my good friend. Aluria, Aluria in the chat, Aluria Shadowvale. Okay, when it comes to when it comes to that, I don't know that I actually want to say this. Do I want to announce this on loud? My my raid character, I we're 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 we are no longer Kruva pilled. Okay, Kruva gaming is over. We are in the era of Jonathan Howe for ten point two. I am making the I'm making the swap to Shaman because they, uh. They kind of ruined Frostmage for me in a way. Um, I think the change that they made to Frostmage was good overall, but it gave the but they gave the spec too many buttons, and I really hated. And I just had a hard time interacting with it. Um, and uh, you know, John, John Howe, my my Pandaren Shaman is traditionally uh, my my second favorite character to play. Um, there's also Gonder, my Warlock, uh, but I, I haven't been super Warlock pilled in recent in recent expansions. So I've decided I'm gonna give I'm gonna give 
Zanhao a try, uh, which means that I can theoretically heal and gear a healer spec because he is a shaman and he will have a healer spec to gear. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if, what's. I don't, I, don't, I. This is maybe one of the WoW patches that I have been least engaged with the game. A lot of this is just work stuff. I was caring a lot about Astraea. I was putting a lot of time into Astraea, um, so I just like couldn't be playing WoW all the time. Um, but. Uh, I sort of also haven't been following like the 10.2 developments really at all. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I assume Jonathan Howe is a, uh, is a joke thing. Right? Yeah. His name is Zon Howe. And then people called him John Howe. Um, and then I said his name was Jonathan Howe. Okay, <laughs> it's, it's just like one of those dumb things that kind of uh, that kind of like snowballs for yeah, no reason. Yeah. It's like, but I one of my uh, people people who know Akupara will understand this. The community manager for Akupara Games, uh, his name is Joseph, but his Discord handle is Riv Otter, right? Um, and at some point, I don't know why I said this. I, I said Rivington Otter as if his first name is Rivington, like a butler or something like that. Um, like Rivington the Third. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I called him Rivington Otter, and so now I just call him Rivington Otter. It's like Dave is, Dave is also like this. I don't know if you know this lore about Dave, another member of our raid group, uh, uh, Dave. Famous WoW quitter, Dave. Um Dave's in in game like handle thing is Will Dave. His like battle net thing is Will Dave, right? Um, and uh, and I once called him William Dave, and and Dave told me he's like, yeah, it's not that kind of Will. I was like, what? What do you mean it's not that kind of Will? What kind of fucking Will can it be? What 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 other names start with Will that aren't that aren't William? Um. And, uh, or I'm sorry, actually, what it first was, I called him Dave, and he was like, Dave is actually my last name. And I was like, what? Your name? And he was like, yeah, my first name is Will. I was like, your first name is Will. And he was like, yeah, your first name is Will, your name is William David. And he was like, no. And I was like, how could it be William David? What does Dave come from? What does Will come from? Will comes from William. Dave comes from David. And he was like, yeah, that's not, that's not my name. And so I was like, what the fuck is your... And then, uh, and then I think I found out, and then he was like, my first name is Wilford, but everyone calls me Will. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but what's your last name? What also comes uh, from David? Uh, hold, hold, what is your hold, name? Wilford? Hold, hold. <laughs> this is an interesting story. I don't know if you want to shout this person's name. True. Full name on the internet. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to do that. Uh, but anyway, the, the story is I started calling Dave Wilford Davington. Because I was like, what could your name possibly be? What could Dave be short for? Davington was my was my answer. It is another name. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say it on stream, uh, but it is it just like fucked with my brain so much that Wilford Davington became a thing, and then Rivington Otter became a thing, and then Jonathan Howe became a thing of just like oh, no, I, expanding out these like dumb nicknames. I, I, I get that, right? Like when we were playing a bunch of um PUBG, um and the Tommy gun was a thing. I, for whatever reason, I started calling it the Thompson Reuters gun, um, which is like. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, because it's like the Thompson is it's called Tommy gun because it was a Thompson, but Thompson Reuters is obviously like a news organization. Right? Yeah. Like, you know. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, no, the little things get stuck in your head um, like that. I understand. No, it's like there's a restaurant near me called uh, Joey Manhattan Beach, but the it wraps around the the name of the restaurant wraps around the name of the restaurant, so it's Joey Manhattan Beach is around the corner, and so whenever we drive by there, it's like, hey, I'm Joey Manhattan, Manhattan. right? <laughs> uh, or like, um, uh, for whatever reason. In the last patch of the last expansion, I just got in my head that like like you had like rich Laystrike deposits, right? Like I got in my head that like a rich Laystrike was like the name of a gnome. It's like, hey, I'm rich Laystrike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's amazing. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, we're deep in the back yeah. half now. Uh, um, we do want to put some final thoughts. My my end. This is my ending ranking. I want I want to say, Rashok forgotten uh, entities. Neltharian, or Forgotten Experience, Neltharian, the Zakali Offensive, Sarkareth, Amalekum, Kazara, Magmarax, Ziskarn. Um, where did you, where did you end up with? Yeah, so I, I never, I never said, I'm, my, uh, my, my, I'm going to put Sarkareth in fourth. So I'm going to go Zakali, Rashok, uh, Neltharian, Sarkareth, uh, Kazara, Magmarax, Amalgation, Forgotten. And with the breakpoints being like, Sarkareth is the last good boss, um, and then like the only truly bad boss in my mind is is Zakarn. Uh, Zakarn. Okay. Yeah. Or no, yep. yeah, it's forgotten. I didn't say Zakarn. Zakarn. I hate Zakarn so much that I forgot to even put him at the bottom. Um, uh, uh, but yeah, uh, relatively fun raid patch. I don't know, nothing special. Not one that I think I'll remember. Uh, but uh, you know, I got like you know, and like you know. In six years, this is actually speaking of which, this is like the seven, like uh, I believe on Thursday, it's the seven year anniversary Jesus. of the podcast. Um, Holy fuck! Yeah, uh, but like in another seven years, we're playing like you know, World of Warcraft, Cataclysm three. Um, I'll be like, oh yeah, that was a patch. Um, you know, rather- yeah, I definitely, I definitely feel you. I obviously, I don't know, like. I, I just didn't interact with this patch much else. I, I haven't done the, the campaign quest even. I just, like, need to, like, sit down and, and play all the way through them at some point. Um, so this this patch is definitely pretty quiet, in my opinion. The one thing I will say about the raid that we didn't talk about, uh, but that, in my opinion, was a huge success, was the changes to upgrading raid loot. Being able to upgrade raid loot with the, with the crests or whatever, I think that is a banger system. 10 out of 10, right? Um, I, I don't know. I guess I'm at 10 out of 10. I would make changes to the system they, they are making changes to the system um but uh i just i love this I, I think it has made our kind of um it's made our raid much stronger because it lets you pump your items up um to higher levels without you know um dealing with any of these kinds of issues it's kind of just one of those systems that it was introduced to fix a problem and it fixed that problem really well and uh yeah i feel feel i don't know that feels good um so uh i don't don't have any more complex thoughts about like the you know the fragments the crests all that all that crap but i wanted to i wanted to say for the record that uh, that was good yeah uh i would uh i generally agree with that um yeah uh, so, what have you been up to this week? You know, I've been playing a lot of... To- well, so my big thing is, uh, do you, how, what do you know about these cooking games? Like, Overcooked? You know about this? I've played them, like, once or twice. Okay, have you ever heard of Played Up? No. Okay. 
I've been sort of deep in this cooking genre. We were looking at a, a you know, uh, a game. This, this happens from time to time. We looked at games for publication, um, you know, who are uh, publishing, I guess. Um, games come to us. They're like, hey, we want you to publish our game. We go, okay. Um, I saw the game that we were thinking about publishing. Um, and I needed to understand the genre. So we played some Overcooked. We played some of this game. Um, this has evolved to be about Played Up, which is a game um, that came out a couple of years ago and is a roguelike version of this, right? So it is a cooperative game. And, you know, you do this thing where you have people in front, people in back, you know, front of house people, back of house people. There's certain people who are, you know, moving the, you know, like they are cooking the thing and then moving it to the to the thing or whatever um but because it's a roguelike it's actually incredible and i think i this is my favorite of the ones that we've that we've seen so far basically here's my problem overcooked and a lot of the games that are similar to overcooked that i experienced um it's essentially a puzzle game right where each level is a puzzle that you and a group of people solve so you'll your group of three your group of four whatever it is um you'll get together you'll solve this game um and uh buddy may not remember this but his played up possession is at least partially my fault no way your played up possession cannot cannot possibly be your fault because i got played up from somebody else Oof. well Keep telling your story, and we'll, we'll okay. Yeah, anyway, so um, so the thing is, is that you're you're it's like it's like Candy Crush, um, Candy Crush goes uh, level by level, and it gets harder or whatever. You three star these levels. That's what you're doing in Overcooked. You have a group of people, um, and uh, you have you have a group of people, and these people are progressing or whatever. But the thing is, is that when you get a different group of people, right? What do you do? Do you continue from where you started with another group of people? It's like, well, you have all this tutorializing. You've learned, you know, part of the fun of this is falling into the routine of, okay, I'm back of house. You're front of house. We have our own individual roles. We're doing our thing, that kind of stuff. Um, what happened, what happens in played up though, is it's because it's a roguelike, you just start a new restaurant. You just start a new save essentially. Right. And the expectation is you will eventually lose Right. Um, so it's not that big of a, of a deal. We have completed, we, we did one restaurant to franchise, which was, we did like a dumplings restaurant. It, we got really good. We got really efficient at it. Um, and that felt really great and everything like that. Um, but then when we started playing with other people, it was like, Oh, Hey, let's start a, you know, Warren came to my house and, uh, and we just played, it was me, Warren and Rachel. And we just played the three of us it's essentially local co-op. Um, and it was just like, Oh, this is actually like really, this is really simple. This is really fun. Um, but then later that night we played four people with Lou and it's like, okay, well we'll just make a new restaurant, right? We'll do our, we'll, we'll do our new restaurant. We'll save our first restaurant to do this other, to do this other sort of thing. Um, I don't know what it is about these games, but they're so fucking fun. They, there is something to the division of labor that, uh, becomes really engaging in sort of the way that it became engaging in payday right so you remember in payday you have like the drills guy you know you have the tank you have shotguns you have all this other sort of stuff um you can kind of um you can kind of make a team loadout in that way we sort of do the same thing in played up where it's like okay i will take care of you know the pumpkin pies 
and making the cake batter. And then I'll pass that to Warden. And he's the one who manages the oven. He's baking the cakes. He's putting the cakes out. And then Rachel is doing front of house where she is taking the, she's filling customer orders based on that. And creating that pipeline is just insanely fun and interesting. Um, and yeah. Yeah. No, it sounds, it sounds entertaining. I just like, I don't know. My experience with this was just uh, a friend of the uh, cast, RKJ, and the way he plays those kinds of games is like, he's like, no, get out of the way. And just like shoves your character out of the way, like into the water in Overcooked. And it's like, well, this was, that, that was the thing. That was exactly how I expected uh, this to go. Um, that sounds terrible. Yeah. Uh, it is a the worst way to play a cooperative game, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I would agree with that. Also, we didn't play for super long, right? Like, it was not mm. like, um, but like, I just, you know, not a thing that I ever fell super into. Um, things. Well, that, listen, if you want to be a played up gamer, you let me fucking know, okay, okay bud. <laughs> okay. Um, things I did do this week um, was uh, I did that the 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 mega dungeon because because we finished oh, nice. right so early. Um, yeah. Uh, and you know, uh, number one audience fan Lou healed for it. Um, we. Uh, we went through the mega dungeon. It was neat. It was it was cool to be able to do it. Um, there was a little bit of drama towards the end. Uh, uh, friend of the cast, Low Kicks, uh, got aggravated with me because he was like, "Pay attention to her hair." I'm like, "What about her hair?" Uh, with like the. the <laughs> God, that fight sucks so bad. I think it's the worst fight I've seen in like uh, a long time. Yeah, it's a real bad fight. Yeah, no, I, and you know it, everything ended up turning out all right. Uh, yeah, this is this is what she's yelling about. Morchi's hair. I would say that if I was describing that mechanic to another person, I would say the fake Morchis are going to be wearing hats. So look for the one that's not wearing a hat instead of like look at her hair and memorize her hair, which is how it was presented to me. But you know. Different strokes for different folks. Um, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, it, it, was a, it was a fun fun dungeon. I don't think I'm in any state to, like, do, like, a full rundown of it because it's kind of, like, tr- you know, trounced my way through it, right? Like, you know, Low Kicks is obviously very good and fairly overgeared and, like, soloed the last boss for us, um, uh, basically, from, like, you know, most, from, for most of it because, uh, you know, uh, my first time doing it and so i messed up quite a quite a bit but uh it was uh it was a good good time um otherwise i've got over 100 hours of street fighter right now uh so you know just keep still on that grind still on the zangief grind um yeah i understand you i put in mm, maybe 100 i've put in about 150 hours since picking up total war warhammer 3 again uh it's that that whole thing is so complicated. Uh, I want to sort of talk about it, but I also sort of don't. Total War is in the middle of a huge backlash. Right. Um, I am typically very skeptical of gamer backlashes, but this one is real in my opinion. Like I'm on the side of gamers. Uh, essentially, the backlash is that Total War Warhammer Three is in a pretty. Uh, it's it's funny. I think it's in a great spot. But you know, do you know, do you know, like the phrase that like people are sensitive to change 
not abs like like value, not absolute value. You're all yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. So somebody, somebody, people. What people do is they acclimate, right? People set and let's call it like acclimation, sort of zero, right? So acclimation says things change, and over time, it sets your perception to zero, it, to to this neutrality, right? And then what you get sensitive to is changes from the new zero, right? Total War Warhammer Three is a fabulous fantastic expansive game comparing it to previous games in the genre compare or in the in the series and other games in the genre i think it compares phenomenally well right no other game in my opinion can match total war warhammer 3 on this sort of fantasy of a huge world all these different races but like a million different starts, right? Over 70 legendary lords, you could do all this stuff. And it's because of all of the development and work that has come forward over the course of, you know, over the course of the game. That said, when the game has been out for more than a year, which it has been at this point, it's been about a year and a half since Total War Hammer 3 released, um, people set their calibration to zero, right? And the thing that happened was they released a new... They released, did two things. One, they added Chorfs, Chaos Dwarves, um, earlier this year, in February of this year. Um, Chorfs, they increased the price from $20 to $25 for what it was called an expansion pack. This is a race pack, which is... We're adding a new race to the game. A new race is a $20 DLC. Okay, sure. This is now a $25 DLC. I get that. Inflation is a thing. I, of all people, get that. I literally set game prices... I set game prices. I understand you need to set prices to be what what makes sense for the money. I'm 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 on board with that. The thing that has the Total War Warhammer community so up in arms is the first Lord pack came out. The Lord packs are typically two lord, two legendary lords, right, and a smattering of units between them, and the price point for that was ten dollars. Okay, the this is the $10 DLC for the lifetime the lifetime of Total War 1 and Total War Warhammer 2, right? The the change in Total War Warhammer 3 is the legendary lord packs are now three lord packs, right? There are three legendary lords in the packs. Theoretically, more content, right? But the price jumps from $10 to $25. And even though there is an extra warhammer lord in there you have three lords instead of the two right the number of units that actually come in the pack are generally speaking still pretty low and in my opinion for this pack that they just released pretty low quality units uh a problem that total war has had sometimes is um there are sometimes when they have added units in these packs that are really great and useful and core to the roster. Uh, the Mandalore Gaming video touched on this where he kind of talked about how none of the DLC feels super necessary except for if you plan to play Skaven, you really can't play base game Skaven, right? That race is incomplete without the Prophet and the Warlock DLC, which adds a bunch of units to the roster that kind of like flesh out how Skaven sort of work. I think that's true, right? I agree with that assessment. I would even go, I would even say I'm more aggressive on that assessment than even Mandalore Gaming was, um, which is to say that I also think that there are some units um, in other packs that are super necessary um, to flesh out, to, to kind of like flesh out the roster. Shadows of Change, this most recent DLC, included a bunch of units that felt incredibly superfluous and the and so what happened is there were 
races that feel like Skaven from Warhammer 2, which is they're not really complete. There's there's whole there's gaps in the arsenal that are missing, and those gaps are a problem, right? Um and but they didn't fill those gaps with like real things that would have helped the that would have helped these sort of like races actually kind of fulfill their identity. Um, and on top of that, there's a bunch of just sort of obvious other stuff that was sort of like left out. Uh, so, for instance, the Kislev character, who I like quite a lot. Her name is Mother Ostankia. Um, Mother Ostankia is sort of like a Baba Yaga figure, right? She's a witch in the woods. Um, and so uh, she added these, you know, these like dog wicker dog things and this like you know whatever um and she also added a hero unit to the game called hags but there was not a lord version of the hero unit so she's still you know when she's the faction leader she's recruiting lords that are just regular you know essentially russian boyars or whatever it's like this doesn't make any sense she's the leader of the hags she'd be recording she'd be recruiting hags who are leading these hag armies what are we, you know, why are we, why am I doing this sort of thing? Um, uh, and so anyway, uh, I, I got myself the DLC just cause I wanted to, I wanted to see, I am, un I am unfortunately disappointed in my purchase, but at the same time, the game is so good that even if I'm not playing these DLC characters, um, I'm just having such a good fucking time playing Warhammer three again. And I just like got into a couple playthroughs. And I was just like, man, this game is so great. Like, <laughs> even though it sucks and there's this whole backlash about the price, the price is terrible and all this other sort of stuff. Um, I just, yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. That was a, that was a probably a pretty poor explanation of everything that's going on. But I'm playing a lot of Total War Warhammer Hammer Three. Is the answer? <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. No. Um. What else am I doing? I I am continuing to get through Baldur's Gate, um, and I feel like the game is just like coming apart at the seams. Right, like oh yeah, because you're in Act Three, right? Yeah. Uh, well, Jason Schreier said this thing on Twitter that I thought was so correct, where he was like, "Gamers are talking about how polished Baldur's Gate Three is, but I think they don't understand the term the term polish. What they mean is density. We talked about this on our Baldur's Gate cast. What they mean is this like density that there's like all this stuff to do and all this crazy shit. Um, but he was like, but I think most of them are just judging a very well-polished Act 1. Yeah. Uh, and they have say. not seen the incredibly broken Act 3. And I was like, yeah, yes. No, 100% <laughs> into that, right? Like, you know, like, sneaking, like, I was sneaking around the art collector's house, right? Like, you know, and, like, I picked something up and it was doing that thing that it did in the toy shop where, like, you know, it seemed like something detected me. I just saw all these fists running around the ground floor, but all of a sudden they all stopped. And they'll walk back to where they were, and it wasn't a problem. Um, also, like, and maybe maybe I just, like, haven't found the right NPC to talk to, but there's this painting on the wall that's like, this is a very valuable painting. Its value is the same as any other painting in the house, right? Like, so I assume there's, like, a collector I need to find to talk to about it, but it's none of the people in the house. It's not like anybody's, like, I could be like, hey, I have the painting that you'd be interested in. Um, uh, so maybe I just need to find that still, but, you know. Um, can I, can I ask you? Did you do the bank? I am the counting house. That is soon. That is very soon. Okay. Um, like I'm kind of working around it because I know it's Minsk, right? Um, uh, when you do the bank, ping me uh, or okay. remind me, and because I have a whole thing about the bank that's that's funny. Uh, 
but yeah, I, I absolutely understand. I mean, I complained about this a lot when it came to Baldur's Gate. You know, we broke multiple endgame quests just because of how we sort of approached things. And uh, yeah, it really sucks completing that game with a bunch of quests in the log. It's funny because I don't want to say Baldur's Gate 3 let me down. That's a little too harsh. But it's sort of the opposite effect of, uh, you know, people say wow I'm in the end, right? Um, you know, that's what, that's what. I don't even remember it's like some Hollywood producer says that. Wow, I'm in the end, and that's how you get a hit, right? This kind of is, is the kind of thing. Or it's like restaurants should focus on their desserts, right? If you have really good desserts at your restaurant, people come back is the idea, right? Uh, Baldur's Gate is sort of the opposite of that. Baldur's Gate is its is its most polished, most core experience, I think, early on. And the longer the game goes, the more it kind of unravels at the seams. Yeah, I mean, like, even things that aren't, like, sequence break things, right? Like, I... Just got my like you know relationship you know I, I got my sex scene with 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 uh, with Shadowheart right, <gasps> but like she had changed her hair color at some point. Well, first of all, I talked to her and she said, "How do you like the new look?" And I had known from something else that she changed her hair color, but she was wearing a helmet, so I couldn't tell. Right, took her helmet <laughs> off. She's got new hair color, right? I do this scene with her, and she has the black hair again. <laughs> um, like it's like. You know, it's just like little. She's role playing for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, just like the like you know, and like things overlap in weird ways, right? Like, um, and like don't quite like hit the right spot, right? Like, um, and you know, like I said, it feels like it's coming apart at the seams, but like it's it's still working, right? Like, it, I don't feel like it's gonna burst, right? Um, but like you know, we'll get there. I can tell that the end is in sight, and I'm making a push for it, right? Like. I, I believe in you. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about it. But yeah. we'll talk about it more next week. I have a lot of spoiler stuff that I want to talk about in that third section. That's a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, I think. Um, but yeah, um, but yeah, it's uh, it's still a neat game. I'm still trying. Like, it, there's a reason I haven't dropped it, but I want to finish it, and I want to finally play, play Phantom Liberty because I, you know, I, you know, I, I watched. I finished watching. Yeah. Edge Runners like two weeks ago. Um, but like other things I've done. Um, I watched. So we're going to talk about some of this stuff next week, but I watched Pope's Exorcist, which was a neat film. I watched the first episode of 30 Coins, which is on HBO Max, and it's like a Spanish-language film. I'm telling people this because we're going to think we're going to talk about these next week, and if you want to watch along, um, which is like the first episode of 30 Coins is like weirdly very similar to Pope's Exorcist, um, uh, and they're just like, they're also very different. Um, I think Pope's Exorcist is much better, but like, 30 coins is interesting in a lot of ways. And then I, to finish it off, we watched Constantine, um, which was uh, a fun film. Um, mm -hmm. Makes you gonna want to go read the Constantine comics. Um, uh, and then the, the only other thing I watched of note was uh, I watched Mike Birbiglia's latest stand-up special called The New One, uh, which I think was released in 2019. It was like a thing. We were looking for something light. And I was like, oh, I know Mike Birbiglia. And it was gut-busting. Gut we were laughing so hard. It's all about him... Uh, Going through the face of like not wanting a kid, his wife wants a kid, they get pregnant, they have a kid, and it's like early fatherhood stages, and it's 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 hilarious. Um, uh, if you like, like I, back in like when I was in high school, when like I was still listening to a lot of Pandora, I would put on like the comedy, like the stand-up comedy channel on on Pandora, and his, um, one of his older specials would be in there regularly, um, and I loved him from that, so I just uh, picked it up again. I've also been okay. 
um, the new season of um, new season of Bake Off is coming out, so I'm watching that. I've been wa- I watched the first two episodes of that with my girlfriend. Um, I was super sad this week because the person who went off. I won't spoil it for anybody who hasn't watched it yet. Um, I thought the guy who ended up like he just had a really bad weekend. I thought he had a really good first week, and I felt so sad because I think there are people who are much worse than him that are going to uh, 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 go that are that that I I you know I think are going to go off relatively short, shortly. But I think it's a relatively good uh, cast this week or this this season. Um, it's been it's 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 always fun to watch. I like Bake Off. It's just like it's it's a comfy show, in a, in a way, right? Um, it's a reality show, but it's not like it's not like cutthroat. Um, uh, and, uh, oh, and, and Taskmaster is simul releasing its episodes with the UK release, or at least it seems that way. And it's great. I'm having a lot of fun watching it as it comes out. I am not as big a fan of the season as it's been in the previous seasons, but it's a good, it's still a funny show. So Taskmaster also gets a sum, thumbs up for me this season. This, this week on Mega Watches British Television. Um, okay. Yeah. Have you started The Sopranos yet? I just have to know. No. Uh, uh, yeah, the, Louis in the chat says they even took the disability checkbox for diversity this season on Bake Off. Yeah, there is a deaf, uh, uh, a deaf contestant, and there's a there's a signer. Um, she had a not so great first week, and like I was weighing in my head, it's like, are they going to keep her on? Like, are they going to like weigh it in her favor so they can like keep the like they can't they can't put the deaf person off in the first week, right? But on the other side, it's like, well, if she goes off, then the then the then the signer can go off with her, and they can come back on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, uh, but uh, yeah, I have not started Sopranos because I wanted to start Sopranos, but my girlfriend wanted to watch something spooky because it's spooky season, so we watched something spooky. Um, also, I'm soon I'm going to start the second season of Loki, um, which is a couple of okay. at this point. Um, you did, did you ever watch the first season? I watched the first episode, but I didn't watch any more of it. I just need to watch. Okay, watch yeah, it, that might be a thing we can do at the end of its run. Um, yeah, there's a bunch of Disney stuff that, like, I th- I theoretically want to watch Ahsoka. Um, I even I don't even care that much about Ahsoka. Like, there's this whole generation of people who care a lot about Ahsoka because they grew up on the Clone Wars series, um, which uh, I I understand. I love prequel stuff, and Ahsoka is like prequel stuff. Um, and the thing I love most about it is the Renaissance of Hayden Christensen. Like, I I love like that's how that stuff seems very made for me. The Obi Wan show was very made for me, right? Um, and I talked about this how the Obi Wan show is a show for people who take take the drama of the prequels seriously, right? Um, and how it kind of like matters or whatever. Ahsoka just seems to kind of be like more along those sorts of lines. Um, but I I don't know. I just I haven't I haven't interacted with it. I just it it feels like it's kind of crazy that this is the case. It feels like. Star Wars has become oversaturated in a way. Like first, and it was something that was so important to me, and we were so deep in it, right? But then, like this, like rise of Skywalker just like destroyed so much, right? And all the discourse about like the Last Jedi. I saw a tweet that was like, "Hey, I just saw this film from 2017 called The Last Jedi. Is this a good site to talk about it?" I was just like, "Oh my god, yeah, all of it feels so special now." Yeah, that's absolutely, you know, I don't know. I, 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 I get, I get kind of all of that. Um, I still, I'm also just I still like haven't watched Mando season two. Like that's how far gone. Oh I am. my god. Yeah. Yeah. I know, which is crazy. Somebody wrote a tweet that was like, it is insane that Marvel, or I'm sorry, that Disney fumbled two huge crossover successes um, with 
uh, with Star Wars, uh, which I, I don't even know how, how much I feel about that, but they're talking about how um, the, uh, you know, The Force Awakens and Last Jedi culminated with Rise of Skywalker. Everybody universally hates it, right? Um, and how Mando Season 1 was this, like, must-watch television show, and Mando Season 2 and 3, it's just like, can you believe Mando Season 3 is out? It's out. We could watch it, but we just haven't. Like, I don't know. Something about it. Yeah. No, it's... <sighs> no, I, 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 I agree. And, like, you know, we have our dis disagreements on Last Jedi, but, like, it, it, is, it is incredible to me that, like, I just, like, can't bring myself... Like, it, there, there's an era where it was, like, I would absolutely be there every moment, right? Like, um, I just... I can't like I, I can't muster the will. Um, Star Wars doesn't feel like Star Wars anymore, Mango. Mm. I got to break up with Star Wars, as Patrick H. Willems, a friend of the pod, Patrick Patrick H. Willems said, <laughs> the Derpy Award winner Patrick H. Willems has said. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I loved Andor. Did you didn't watch Andor, right? I I haven't watched anything because I need to go watch yeah. Mando season two. <laughs> I think you should. I, I, I told myself I wasn't going to give a shit. I, people said Andor was good. I sat down and watched Andor. It was good. It was insane, actually. So it was. Yeah, no, I, I, need, to, I need to get it. So okay. Part of it is that, like, it seems like some of these theories are hit or miss, but, like, they're also hit or miss in the way that, like, I can't tell if they're actually hit or miss or if just, like, certain groups of people online are mad about them. Like, I have heard mixed things about Ahsoka. I don't know if it's good or not. I've just heard, like, and it's, like, not even, like, I haven't heard, but I haven't heard it in enough volume. Like, it's not, like, it's not, like, it's bad enough that, like, a bunch of people are screaming about it online. It's, like, I heard that's, like, it's not great, right? Like, um, I have also heard that, like, the new season of Castlevania isn't great. I haven't watched the first season of Castlevania, and I meant to get around to that at some point. Um, so, you know, it is, it is yeah. what it is. Um, and here I am watching a show from 20 years ago. Yeah. Sopranos is so good, though. There's a moment... I, I tweeted about this and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spoil anything, but there's a moment where something happens and uh, it's such a the, the thing about this and I don't want to be this person, but I but I will say it's the best moment in the show, in my opinion. But it's so quiet and understated and I could talk for probably an hour about this moment and why it's so important and the construction of it and how it is so it like all the all of the show has led to this precise singularity of Tony Soprano doing this one thing in this one instance of the of the show or whatever and it's just like I haven't had that feeling in a long time I guess is what I would say uh, I haven't had that feeling. You know, ironically, I haven't had that feeling since the Sopranos movie came out. The Saints of, uh, The Many Saints of Newark, which was three years ago, I think. Uh, because The Many Saints of Newark has a moment like this. And I will die on the hill that everybody misunderstood. People didn't, people, Sopranos people don't like this movie. And we'll, we'll talk about it, I'm sure. Sopranos people don't like this movie. What they don't like about it, though, is dumb. And they're stupid idiots. And they don't understand the show. And they can't figure out. They, they want plot when they should be caring about theme. And they don't understand how to read a character arc. You know, they don't see, they don't see the character arc. And uh, we'll talk about it. I want to talk there. about this so bad. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Yep. I, I don't know. The thing I saw about Tony Soprano today was a tweet that was like, 
Christopher Columbus was a hero, and that's the end of that. <laughs> do, you, do you know about this? What? Oh, is, is that like a real thing? The epi- is that a real thing yeah, in the show? In, in the show Sopranos, I think in the third season, there is an episode called Christopher, which is about a Native American protest at the Christopher Columbus oh, Day see, Parade. I thought that was like a York. meme. Like that was like somebody projecting out from him. But like that makes sense, right? Like the, uh, It is, frankly, I once had, I once had a teacher describe, do you know the, the Lincoln-Douglas debates? Yeah. Yeah. I, but so, I didn't do LD. Is that friend of the cast out did LD. I, I did public forum, but I hung out with the LD kids. Yeah. Okay. Oh, but the you Lincoln mean the Douglas actual debates. Lincoln Douglas debates—they're named after. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The actual Lincoln Douglas debates were describing me in a history class as they are the best debates in American history because everything after that just waters things down to sort of like baseline politics. But this is where two really knowledgeable, you know, really effective politicians and lawyers are having actual material debates about the politics. If you read these, you will say. Oh my God! Everything else is so much worse. Like we have it so bad today compared to what what um, the you know what we had back then. And I always I painfully resist this framing. You know how painfully re- I resist this framing. Um, but but the the way the episode Christopher deals with the poignant political topic of Christopher Columbus as both a hero symbol of Italian pride. Yeah, he, he's, he's at the same time standing for for you know Italian American. He's, he's, yeah, he's like the you know early kind of like affirmative action isn't quite right, but like you know you know uh, constituency appeasement kind of deal, right? Ethnic constituency. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, in, in our in our history deep dive for this week, uh, Columbus Day was only added to give Italians a day on the calendar, kind of like St. Patrick's Day in a way, right? Where it's like, hey, we can celebrate you and you and your heritage kind of thing. And the way that this one hour of episode, this one hour television deals with like this this tense political social justice topic has made me just be like, I hate everything. <laughs> and like, the, you know, it's like, I imagine an episode of a TV show coming out now and addressing this topic is actually insane to me because like no one would ever deal, tackle it with the level of nuance that the Sopranos tackled it. And part of that is because it's an ensemble show. You can voice a lot of different opinions right. um, by having a bunch of different people all do different sorts of things and, and tackle it in a weird way. And also it's a very like morally challenged show where like, the the episode doesn't come to any definitive conclusions, right? It just presents a lot of different arguments about a lot of different sides with a lot of different nuances um, and sort of threads it into, you know, threads it into the narrative, uh, in, you know, on top of all this other sort of stuff. But yeah, so that uh, that Christopher Columbus shit is real. Uh, <laughs> that's a that's a real episode. So, so it's interesting. You mentioned um, you mentioned the you know Lincoln Douglas and like the kind of like the devolving of debates and said I actually listened to obviously this is one guy's perspective. Uh, podcast recently where the guy the central claim is that um debates actually like you know debates may not have been good from like this word but debates actually died with nixon kennedy um like true substantive oh. debates because um that like um the, the way it was put it's like if you watch those debates nixon is like doing like a real debate right like he's doing the thing where like you know he kind of like he's like he does the thing where like he he's like agrees with kennedy on certain points and like takes that and then refutes the strongest parts of it and like does it like a real debate, right? But like this gets perceived as weak because he's agreeing with Kennedy, right? And so the the landscape shifts and everybody's just kind of like you know 
never agrees with anybody else, and all they do is, and they don't answer the question, they answer the question they want to answer, right? Like, and that, that that's the start of all of that. Um, yeah, I probably would agree with an assessment along these kinds of lines. I also think that, you know, like, I, I, the, the part of my resisting of that framing is that, like, I think debates now are more effective than ever. It's just a question of, are they effective at talking about the nuances of, of substantial policy change, or are they effective at getting people to vote for you? And I think they're very effective at getting people to vote for you. It's just they're effective at motivating your base and all this other kind yeah. of, you know, like, political well, stuff. Yeah, I mean, um, th that's also, like, th th that is also an interesting thing is, like, we went from, like, basically 2016, like, it, there was hints of it with, like, the Obama elections, but, like, Trump Trump forward has been less, of, like, traditionally you would, like, run to the extremes of the primary and run to the center in the general. But, like, mm -hmm. the last couple of elections have been about juicing turnout more, more than about, like, getting crossover voters, and that's, that's kind of, like... So that I, I've weirdly, this is one of those things I did a bunch of research. The inflection point here is actually 2004. The, the reason 2004 matters is because John Kerry's campaign was about one end and George Bush's was about the other. George Bush, the thing that got him elected in 2004, outside of other, other stuff, was his campaign strategy was about activating voters, rather like activating voters in his base rather than appealing to the moderate center. He did end up appealing to the moderate center in in kind of people just like that in general, right? But his strategy for getting votes was not I am going to take every essentially everybody in the swing states for was like or everybody in like the you know 2004 forward was like you need to get to swing states, right? You want to go to swing states where you could you know, and then you want to get moderates to vote for you. But the truth of modern data analytics, which we didn't really have access to in like the latter half of the 20th century yet, it really took the internet to get here, um, is that there's actually a deeper well of voters who agree with you who don't go to the polls than there is a well of moderates who could vote for either candidate and you convince them to vote for you over the other guy, right? Um, and so that's been a huge change in how electoral politics in the United States uh, works. Yeah, are, are, uh, you is, are you familiar yeah. with the Flight 93 election essay? No. United 93? Like 9-11? Yeah. No, no. So this this is like a, a famous essay. And I I don't remember. The, basically, the, the framing of the essay, I believe it was like you have to vote for Donald Trump because Hillary Clinton is so bad. Right? Like, um, and this is like, this is, this is like basically like kind of like the signpost for like everything that's wrong with like current electoral politics right is like be, that's how you you that's how you motivate some of these people who stay home is like you make it so important right you must mm -hmm. come vote because like you know that's not to say that there's not some truth to this at certain levels right like there, there's 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 a version of this that is like you know democracy is on the line how much of that is true is less important than people believing it is true so that they feel obligated to go out and vote for your candidate at the polls, right? And one of the starting points of this is the Flight 93 election essay. Um, I just want to be clear. The metaphor here is that the idea is the plane is has been hijacked and we need to drive it into the ground rather than let it reach its destination. Is that what I, you're I, saying? I, for, I, forget what the, I forget the base metaphor, okay. but it's it, it, like... Um, the, the, the shorthand flight 90, 93 election is like, you know, 
you must hold your nose and do the bad thing because otherwise it's going to be so much worse, right? And this is okay. this was particularly true of 2016 Donald Trump, right? Like that, that is what the essay was written about. Um, let me see if oh I, can, I, I, I can find it. Um, but it gets referred to as like, I hate this, like the people I listen to, is I hate this Flight 93 election. Um, I cannot believe that is... I don't know. Oh, I mean, I don't know. I guess I have complicated feelings about 9-11 or whatever, but it's just like the idea of invoking that as a metaphor is ghoulish to the to the extreme. Yeah, so this is the opening of it. It's Claremont Review of Books. Claremont has gone off, off of a cliff. It was a little bit more moderate back when this was written. But um, 2016 is the Flight 93 election. Charge the cockpit or you die. You may die anyway. You or the leader of your party may make it in the cockpit and not know how to fly or land the plane. There are no guarantees. That is the opening paragraph of this essay. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. No. And, and this is like this has been like a lot of like the motivating. Like this, this is like, you know, you, there is a story, a narrative you can tell that this is how like 2016 and forward has rolled out for the Republican Party is like everything is the end of the world. Um, and there's a case we made that's on the other side, also a case to be made that's a little bit more justified on the other side. Right. But like. Um, yeah. I mean, do you know about the uh, do you about the 9-11 January 6th thing? This is a d debate that's been happening kind of in, like, politics circles, but, like, I guess I would probably say less serious politics circles than the ones that I expect that you pay attention to. Uh, what, it's, like, w which is worse, January 6th or 9-11? Yeah, so the founder of the Lincoln Project went on to a hyper-conservative podcast and um, was criticizing January 6th. And the host asked him what he thought was a, was a clarifying layup question, which was, which is worse, 9-11 or January 6th? And the guy said January 6th. Um, and he made his case. And he, I, I would say he made a, I wouldn't say good case, but he made a valid case, right? In the sense that his logic was, was sort of there. Um, but it was, it blew up. It became a whole thing. And every other political podcast, like, kind of meme not. They were like, they were like, which, which is worse, you guys, right? Like, yeah, no. It's kind of like the, like the Reddit question of, uh, like, would you rather face a, fight a, a horse-sized duck or a hundred duck-sized horses or whatever? It's like that kind of, you know, that kind of thing. But yeah, that, that was a couple of weeks ago. And I was just like... Wow, we're really invoking 9-11 yeah. a lot these days. Yeah, the, the Lincoln Project is, uh, is special, is what I will call it. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, it, it, it is, again, some derps talk about games, we're getting heavy into politics, but like, there is... Some derps talk about politics, I swear to God. The, the, there, there is there's essentially like two versions of never Trump conservatives, right? Mm -hmm. And one of them... Like, Lincoln Project is also kind of grifty, so that's its own thing. But, like, there's one kind who have, like, like are, like, still principled conservatives, but, like, don't truck with Trump. And then there's another kind that's kind of, like, basically Democrats at this point. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's interesting because some of it has also, like, some of that has also seemed to, like, have pulled the Democratic Party in certain ways. Um, but it's, you know, it, it's a whole thing. And I won't get into, like, conservative hate, hate geography here. Um, you know, um, I sent you this... Um, on Twitter, I don't know if you saw it, but like the state, I state I'm in has a large libertarian presence and like the, uh, the leadership of one of the organizations just like kicked out a very controversial guy. And there was a whole dust up about it on Twitter. Everything, the, the caucus that took over the libertarian party, the Mises caucus is like falling apart and is like, <laughs> like damaged the party. It's, it's every, everything is terrible. I hate everything. And, uh, you know, I'm probably going to run into at least one 
pri Republican primary person at some point in the next two months. <laughs> I hope you're excited, baby. Oh, Let's yeah. go. Okay, yeah, we've talked about enough about politics. We yeah. can we can close it from if here. <laughs> you would like to tell us what you think about Mike Pence or any of the other things we talked about on this podcast? <laughs> you can us at gmail.com or podcast at simdrisplaygames.com. You can follow or uh, you can follow us at twitch.tv/slash or youtube.com/slash/simdrisplaygames where these go out live. Um, rate review us on iTunes. Uh, what else? Um, leave us, uh, you know, leave us a review. All that good stuff. Uh, links are all in the description. Buddy, I don't have anything I'm looking to promote, but or Buddy, do you have anything you're looking to promote? There we go. That's how. I have nothing I'm looking to promote. I'm, I'm, I'm chilling for now. We did a big. Did you see the Akupar live stream? Did you see anything of that as well? I saw that you had one. Congratulations! Yeah, on we had years. one. Yeah, it is the seven year. It was a huge project. We streamed all day or whatever. I was streaming for some of it, but then, uh, like Luis, uh, my the video editor at our uh, at our company streamed. He has a segment that was so fucking funny. I couldn't stop laughing. I was dying of laughter. Um, and uh, anyway, that vod is that like vod is up on YouTube. I would just this is not. I'm not looking to promote this. To be clear, I just think it is genuinely so funny. Watch this seg this like Louis segment. It's the greatest shit. It's in the middle there. It's like it'd be like four hours in or something like that. Um, I'm sure there's I'm sure there's timestamps on the video. So this is less me promoting and more me just making a recommendation to go just watch this funny ass fucking live stream. So the the story here is Luis was making themed coffee for some of our different games, but it was just it's just kind of a comedy of errors in a way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm watching Rachel rush to the computer to type something in chat right now because it was so goddamn funny. <laughs> yeah. so, so something I just realized, was that uh, on Akaparo's seventh anniversary of existence? Uh, yeah, yeah. To the October 5th is uh, October 5th, 2016 is when the company was like made, founded, right? Um, you, know that, you realize so, that Akaparo yeah. is only a week older than this podcast. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh my god, you're, yeah, literally that, yeah, wow, yeah, like literally, I guess that's true. Yeah, so I, so the, the day of the first, I, I have it in my, on my Google calendar, the, the podcast anniversary is the 12th of October, so yeah, literally one week. Literally one week, that's incredible, yeah. actually, that I've been doing this podcast the same amount. I mean, obviously, I haven't worked at Occupy that long, I, I joined Occupy in 2019, three years after, um, it you know, but yeah. Oh well, so that means you've been at Akapara longer than. Um, wait, no, no. Were you at? Well, no, Square Enix. I was 13, 2013 to twenty nineteen. Okay, so you five see, and a half years. Okay, yeah. So yeah. never mind. Sorry, I for whatever reason I confused the podcast start date with your start date at Square Enix. Um, but yeah. Yeah, it, Arahe says in the chat, it's so fucking funny. It's actually like a separate stream thing. Well, whatever, we fixed that. The man drinks eight shots of espresso over the course of the video. The energy is on I'll have to check it out. <laughs> Sounds good. There's this part where he, you know what? I, I'm not going to explain it. It's so can, fucking funny. Can just get, go watch it. Can you get me a timestamp so I can put a link in the description? Yeah, I will find the video. We put the YouTube, we put the VOD up on YouTube. I will find the video and give you a link to when, when it starts. Oh, All right. God, what, a, what a game. With that, I will say, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.